0: So, uh, Jan Tooley, Phil's wife, just posted, I think, on Levener just to keep us updated on Becky. Um, it was a motorcycle accident. I mean, it was serious. And right now, um, there, was, there was so much complication that they didn't know if she was going to make it through the night. And... She's stable now. This morning, she's got the tubes out of her throat, and she's able to speak softly and communicate, which is a, a great thing, but uh, she's not out of the, the woods yet, so just keep praying for, for Becky, but uh, they're praying for a reconstruction of her shoulder area. Um, so the clavicle and the uh, collarbone shoulder blade was all pretty much destroyed so uh, prayers is that they can restore that so be praying for their whole family they're in Knoxville and uh, her daughters are there the one from Nicaragua that she's always praying for some of you just clicked about who this was that we're talking about uh, is with them and so just be praying for for Becky and Stan and uh, It's good that you guys are texting and communicating and praying for them. That's what family does. And when one hurts, we all hurt. So this is where we are with Jesus, too. Uh, If you've been with us, we're in John chapter 14. I think I got through verse 15 last week. And he's in the upper room with his disciples, just had the Lord's Supper. Judas is bolted out. And Jesus is trying to give them one last message while they're there. He, gives them, he gets ready to give them one more message, but they, at the end of chapter 14, they get up and leave this upper room, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus pretty much does another couple of chapters, actually three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, which is going to take us a while to get through that. But uh, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. So hopefully we get through the upper room conversation today. But let me pick up where we left off. We left off with verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we talked about why would God, why would Jesus put us back under the law if he came to take us out from underneath the law? I'm not going to go over that, but you can go back to last week's lesson and look and see what we said. But verse 16, he then says, and I will ask the father... And he will give you another counselor to be with. Some translations say abide with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. Because he remains, he abides with you and will be and will be in you, will be, like I'm getting ready to die, buried, raised, sit next to the Father, I'm going to send a counselor, a Holy Spirit, and not only will he be with you, he's going to be in you. happens in Acts chapter 2, Old Testament, the Spirit just rested on them, New Testament, the Spirit lives in us. And I love that the whole... He says, he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. We're going to talk about what that spirit of truth is here in just a second. He says in verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Now, granted, these teenage young men don't know what's really about to happen other than they know Jesus is getting ready to die he's getting ready to die and he's literally saying I'm not going to leave you guys just breathe relax it's okay I got you I got you I'm coming back somehow some way I'm coming back don't freak out he says I'm coming to you in a little while the world will no longer see me but You will see me, because I live, and you will live too. Now, I get that. I get that they didn't get that. And here's why, is because I literally see Jesus right now. In this very room. If this is the case, if Jesus says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to live within you, my spirits, I'm going to abide with you, I'm going to hang out with you, I'm hanging out with Jesus right now here on the front row. Because he's in you. He's abiding in you. And when you look around and you see this and everybody else, you kind of go, this is kind of cool. It's like Jesus is all over this place right here. He says... You will see me. I do see you, Jesus. I see you working through your church. You love us dearly. He says, I come in John chapter 10, verse a couple chapters earlier. He says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so when he's saying that, he's saying, look, you don't have to worry about anything because, one, I've got you, two, I want to live your life for you. If you really want to have an adventure, if you really want to know what this whole thing's about, let me live your life for you. I'll do it for you. John 10.10. Verse 20, he says, On that day, and he's looking forward to Pentecost, which is actually Acts chapter 2, On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Remember this? It's like I've pulled this out the last three weeks. I'm in the Father. Hello. Jesus is there. And you're in me. My daughter did this. There's Chloe. That's the way this thing works. We all stay together right here. We're all together. That's how we have this abundant life verse 21 it says the only one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me man that sounds pretty restrictive he's calling people out the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me we've all of a sudden translated this passage of saying if I want Jesus to love me then I gotta keep his commandments that sounds like work that's what the whole old covenant was about. Keep my commandments, and I'll bless you. If you don't keep my commandments, you'll be cursed. So now the new covenants come and there's a new plan, there's a new new way of thinking, a new paradigm, a new mindset, and Jesus is saying, "Look, those that keep my commands, we're in love with each other. In other words, if you love me, it's going to be natural for you to keep my commands. And because you keep my commands, everybody's gonna know that we love each other. That's how it works. It's a lot simpler that way. Especially if you're allowing him to do it in you because we've already proven that we can't do it on our own. Remember what we said last week we read this passage out of first John chapter three. You go, well, if he's taking us. Out from underneath the law, if we don't have to obey commandments, why is he telling us that there's a new commandment? Well, it's pretty simple. This is what he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. I'll read it again. It says, And receive whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. John is writing this, the same John that wrote the book that we're reading out of today. He says that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's it. That's the two commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. What are those two commandments? One, that you just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's not real hard, people. Believing. (laughs) That's all you got to do. Then the other side of that is if you believe, then you're going to love one another. And remember we said, if you're letting Christ live his life through you, that is the way that you love one another. It's pretty simple. Sorry to dumb it down so much. I get it. It's difficult. I get it. And then uh, you take that commandment and you go, well, is this the way we're supposed to live? It's... He's really saying, as you go, you live this out. You play this out. I think last it was last week that I said, if you want to make your marriage better, if you want to make your friendships better, if you want to make your job situation better, then you do these two things. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that you love one another. You allow Him to do that in you. Lord, give me belief. Lord, let me love one another. Lord, I need you to do this in my life. If you you want to grow churches, if you want to do evangelism, if you want to put pressure on people on how to be good Christians, Just do those two things. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and love one another. It's not a formula. It's not a program. It's not a bunch of stuff. It's just simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came and died for your sins and that He's your Savior and He's the Lord of your life. And because of that, He's going to cause you to love one another. And if you love one another, they're going to want to know what you're talking about. That's evangelism 101 right there. If you want to impact the world, believe in Jesus. Know Him. Know Him. Know Him. And it will cause you to love others. Knowing Christ is our only goal. That's it. If you ask me, what do I have to do to... Honestly, to do anything. Just know Jesus. That's it. Get to know him. Don't don't depend upon me for you to get to know Jesus. You figure it out. You go read the Bible. You go hang out with people. You talk to people. You go look out in the nature and see that God is real. You can do this. He says... And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Oh, here we go. This, this is a good one. What does it actually mean to live by his life? Somebody in here, I'm asking the audience a question. What does it mean to live by his life? I sit up here and say it all the time. I want to hear from you. What does it mean to live by his life? What? you got to speak up louder. One says, walk by the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? I mean, these are people that are wanting the answers, right? You want to know what this looks like, right? Somebody tell us what it looks like. Yeah, Matt. What? What does that mean? It looks like weakness. So you recognize your weakness so that He's able to live live through you, and make you strong. Right. Gotcha. What? You want the microphone? (laughs) Jeannie's like saying realizing who we are is that we are holy and righteous and redeemed and that he's given us. It's just an awareness of who we are. Right? This is why we teach identity all the time in here. Is because, one, you have to be aware of who you are and what you have inside of you. If you don't even get that, you're missing out. You never can win the game. What else does it look like? What? Trust. Wow. That's, a, that's the hard part. That's the whole believe part. That's, that's the hard part. You can hear this, and you can agree with this, and you can say, yeah, I, I believe it, but do you trust it? <laughs> do I, I can teach this thing, I know it, but do I trust it? Is what it says right here the real deal? What does it look like to live your life by another source? I can't do it. This is too much for me. Unconditional love. Love one another no matter what. <laughs> he just said it, we're not capable of it. That's exactly right. If I Yeah, if I'm expected to love all y'all. Yeah, I get it. I do because I allow Christ to do it through me. I do. It's unconditionally. Man, I know that we could go on forever, but let me take you what Paul says just real quick through Romans chapter 6. Here's what Paul says The Father who lives in me does his works. Watch this. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. I died. The moment that I believed that Jesus Christ was my personal Lord and Savior, I died. Something in me died. Something in me died. That's not me feeling that. That's not me even saying that. That's me reading the passage of Scripture that says something in me died. Well, what died? Romans six eleven. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. When I was crucified with Christ, my sinful nature, what was natural for me to do when I was born, was crucified and it was taken away. And now I live under the commandment of Jesus Christ. I live under the Spirit in me. You look at verse 13, it says, But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. Okay, God, I need you to do this in my life. I failed. Now you're my Savior. Now you're my life. Do this in me and through me. It's the only way it works. Otherwise, I just keep doing the whole thing that I did before I believed in my own strength. And I'm back to where I started. I, I still have my salvation because I believe, but why do I keep trying to do things in my own strength? And then verse 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, because remember, he's already left. John's just clarifying, this is a different Judas. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Judas is sitting there thinking in the physical sense. Now how do you do that where we can see you, but they can't see you? He's thinking physical. Jesus is talking spiritual. Like, watch this. If, if there's believers in the room, they can see the spiritual side of what I'm talking about. If there's non-believers in this room, they're having a hard time understanding what I'm talking about. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. There's people in this room that are picking up more of what I am saying because I honestly believe, I don't believe it's me saying it, I believe it's the Father saying it through me. But there's people in this room that are picking up more about what the Father is saying than others in this room. Why is that? Because they're pursuing Jesus and they know him. And they hear things. And things are revealed to them that aren't revealed to everybody else. I truly believe the more you know Jesus, the more he reveals himself to you. You don't have to just wait on Sunday mornings to get here to hear things. You can read and figure this thing out. He said, verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word. My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Now that really sounds like law. How do we keep the word? We keep it just as Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus keep the word? He lived his life by the source of his father. It wasn't him that was living this life. It was God doing it through Jesus. And he came here to die so that he could go to heaven, send us a helper, counselor, so now that spirit could come in us and we can live our life by another source. That being the Spirit, that being Jesus, that being God the Father. Yep, all three of them reside inside of you. Did you see that? The Father will love them and he will come to him and make our home with him. They are hanging out with you right here today. Romans 8.4, watch this in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law, but we're under the Spirit. And all three of them are here to help us do that. That's a beautiful thing. Verse 24, it says, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. Like, again, that's someone that still has a sinful nature. It's natural for them not to love him, and they're not going to be obedient to him. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from, from the Father who sent me. He's literally saying, this isn't me talking, this is my Father talking. I when I look at this verse right here, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. I see that as an act of mercy. What? I see that as an act of mercy. If he, he did not manifest himself to the world because that would have meant judgment that means that he would have had to judge them. So now, what the deal is, is he comes and presents himself to us, the believers. We know him, and we're to love one another, and we're to love unconditionally. We love those who don't even know him. How are they supposed to hear about the Father? Because we, as believers, are loving them unconditionally it you guys it's natural for a sinner to sin (laughs) you crazy like i you think that i want everybody to act just perfectly well yeah that'd be great but the truth of the matter is i realize that there's a sinful world out here i expect them to act sinfully Now, what happened is when I understood this, I used to get cranked up about that, that people, especially sinners, would just act the way that they do. But the more that I know about the spirit of truth, I learned, well, that's natural for them to act that way. Why would I expect them to act any different? They don't have the same thing that I've got. Now, you're sitting there like going, yeah, but I know people in here that have the spirit of God in them, and then you should see the way they act. I get that too. I used to get emotionally cranked up about that too. But you know what I found out? Is they probably don't know that they're wholly righteous and redeemed. And they're selfishly choosing to walk momentarily by their flesh. A believer in Jesus Christ, who's being disobedient, is being selfish and walking by their own strength and flesh. I get that. I don't get emotionally upset about it. Now everybody goes, well, he just really doesn't care about sin, does he? (laughs) Yeah, I do. But it's not my problem. It's not my problem. Whose problem is it? It's his. Like, he's already dealt with it here in this room. Now he's got to show others about what he's done for him, And how does he do that? Romans chapter, Romans chapter 3, God leads us to repentance through his kindness. Where does the kindness come from? Maybe through the believers who are loving others. This sounds like a warm, fuzzy message but it makes sense it just absolutely makes sense to me so those believers that are walking by their flesh Jesus you're the one that's got to show them it's not my responsibility the only time it's my responsibility when you guys are acting up is when the spirit tells me to and that happens Spirit will lead me on occasion to go hang out with you. And guess what I'm going to do? Jesus made you holy, righteous, and redeemed. I don't have to tell them about the junk and the choices that they're making in their life. I just have to tell them who they are. Because who leads them to repentance? Not Rusty, not the pastor, not the elders. God leads them to repentance. I just tell them who they are. That's it. Gosh, you're so nice. No, he's nice, he's a good, loving God. Verse 25 says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Watch this. The Spirit's never going to tell you anything to to do anything that's in contradiction with his law, with his word. If you want to know if you're doing the right thing, go get to know Jesus. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Back to that. He's never, ever, ever going to lead you to do something that contradicts his word or his law. His law. Not man's law, his law. It's not based upon feelings. It's not based upon opinions. It's based upon his word. The Spirit's revelation will always align with the word of God, I promise you. It's like you can look. Now, this is the crazy thing. You think about who wrote this book john john wrote this book you want to know something about john this is this is big news for you right here this is big news for you let, let me jump to acts chapter 4 verse 13 this is after jesus has died the spirits come on him and they're doing all these things john hasn't actually written the book of john yet But it says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you see what I just said here? Watch this, watch this. Jesus, God, just took John, who was an uneducated man. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't very bright. And he used him to write this gospel that we're studying 2,000 years later. Don't tell me that he can't use you and that you can't understand this because it says right there that he used an uneducated man. And for an uneducated man to write as perfectly as they did the New Testament, they took the New Testament, they would have had to have memorized the whole Old Testament to make up what they wrote to line up with the Old Testament. John sits there in John chapter one, verse 14, and he talks about the glory of God. The glory of God, the glory of God, the same one that Luke talks about in chapter two, the glory of God appeared when Jesus was born, it shone all around them, and they were afraid. Remember that one? The glory of God? John's talking about it in John chapter one, verse 14, but he would have had to known all the way back in Exodus chapter three, that was the same glory that showed up in the bush. Back in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, that's the same same glory that showed up on Mount Sinai. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it was the same glory that showed up in Solomon's temple. It's the same glory that in Ezekiel chapter 11 just like disappeared and went away for years. It went to heaven. And now like John's writing about it, but he's uneducated. What in the world? It's because the Spirit became in John just like he came in you that's good stuff my friends and then I close with uh, these verses right here Jesus is trying to wrap this conversation in the upper room up and he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you what? 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 Jesus is getting ready to face the darkest of all deaths. He's getting ready to get up out of this room and go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's just going to be sweating blood. Not because he's worried, just because he's in this battle with the evil one. And he's looking death straight in the eyes through the crucifixion on the cross. And he says to these guys that are freaking out, it's my peace I give to you. What? How can Jesus have any peace? Because he's living his life by the source of the Father. His peace is comes through the Father. It's not Him doing it. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to be put up on the cross. And not only does He have peace, but He says to His brothers, I give it to you. The worst thing I could ever face in my life Yet he still had peace. This lady in Indianapolis lost nine family members on a boat accident. That's Marla's cousin. How in the world does she have peace? there's only one way to have peace. My friend Becky Novikoski is laying in the hospital clinging to her life. How in the world is she at peace? Becky, I know you're hearing me. And I know you have peace. I know you. Because you know the Father. My friend Todd is sitting back there. I know he has peace. Todd, I'm going to school on you. Seriously. I'm going to school on you and Becky, and I'm taking notes. And so is everybody in this room. That's not pressure. That's not pressure. But I trust the Father in you. I trust the Father in Becky. And I trust the Father in Marla's cousin. Because he says... it, it, it It's my peace, my peace that I give to you. My peace. Not yours. It's my peace. You want to know the beautiful thing about it? His peace is complete. That's all you need. I did not give it to you as the world gives. Don't Let your heart be troubled or fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled. You have to know that peace. He's made it available to you. It is the fruit of the Spirit, and that Spirit lives in you. It doesn't get any better than that right there. I don't care what you're facing. Lord, just remind us what you say is absolutely true. Make it come alive in us. I pray for this family, Marla's family. I pray for Becky. I pray for Todd. I pray that peace would just flow then it comes from you. I know those guys didn't get it that night. But I pray that we're able to grasp just a glimpse of it here today. So, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with your word. trust you with my friends and my family. And I thank you for your peace, your peace that resides in us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.